First Peter chapter 1 verse 22. Will you stand with me as we read God's precious word in reverence and respect for it? Verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away. But the word of God endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Therefore laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. You may be seated. Thank you very much. That's the word of the living God. We talked about the fact that the first Peter was written to a, uh, to a dispersed group of believers who were about to go undergo intense persecution. They were already undergoing persecution, but it was about to get considerably worse under the reign of Nero. Christians were going to be burned at his garden parties, at stakes to light them up. Um, they were going to be blamed for the burning of Rome that came about at his hand, and he shifted the blame for them. When it turned on him, he thought it would be something that was well received because they were going to burn up the slum areas and build the city back up, and the people were enraged over what he did, and so he shifted blame for doing it to the Christians. And that precipitated uh, intense persecution throughout the Roman Empire. He's getting them ready. This is not a negative word. It's a realistic word. It's a positive word. But I believe that uh, the church in America is about to go undergo uh, persecution. I don't believe it's going to be as... Maybe it might not be as intense as what they face. Maybe it might. But I can tell you this. Every time the devil sets out to persecute God's church, it always turns on him. Because persecution in the church makes it grow. It also has a way of editing out and um, and getting rid of the pretenders. If it costs something to follow Jesus, and it costs us very little. But when it does cost us something, the ones who are really not real have a tendency to cut and run. There'll probably come a day in this nation when the church might have to very well go underground if they're going to preach the truth. And that the only churches that will be able to meet Openly and publicly will be the ones who compromise with the spirit of the age and become essentially government churches and make commitments that they'll not preach about certain things and cut deals in order to maintain even their maybe their tax-exempt status, things like that. And the government's going to wield control. We know that's the spirit of the Antichrist. The Bible says that the Antichrist may be alive right now. We don't know. But the spirit of the Antichrist has always been ever since Jesus left this earth. So the operation of the spirit of the Antichrist is certainly prominent and operating now. And it's all happening all according to God's plan. See, the Word of God endures forever. We need to get our prompts and we need to get our, our information from the Word of God. If we're informed scripturally, we can't help but be encouraged. We don't fret. The Bible says in Psalm 37, when wicked men bring wicked schemes to pass, don't fret. Don't fret because it only causes harm. Dwell in the land and feed on the faithfulness of God. He'll take care of you. 
If we turn around and fret and look at the newspaper columns, instead of the Word of God to guide us, we will fret. But God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. It's just according to where we go for our news. Don't go to Fox News for your news. Go to the Word of God. Get informed there. It's more up to date than today's paper. And it'll inform us. It'll give us encouragement. So see, in light of that, this is what Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, knew they needed to hear. Here's God's habit. God's habit is this in the New Testament. This is the way the New Testament and the epistles are written. He informs us of the glories of our salvation. And then after having been informed of the glories of our salvation, as a consequence of the glories of our salvation, here's how you ought to live in response. I wrote this down. It said, love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my best, my all. Aren't you grateful it doesn't say law so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my best, my all? It doesn't say that, does it? It says, love so amazing. I had to write that down. See it right there? Uh, love so amazing and so divine demands my life, my best, my soul, my all. It doesn't say law. It says love. And the Lord informs us. He said, listen, you've been, impur you've been purified in your soul by obeying the truth. What is that? Repentance toward God and faith, faith in Jesus Christ. Your repentance can be credited to the Holy Spirit. We talked about the involvement of the Trinity in your salvation and mine. The Bible clearly teaches that God planned it, the Son purchased it, and the Holy Spirit makes it known through the, through, the God, through the power of His Word. And so they're all involved in this Trinitary agreement. And the only reason you could lose that is if God breaks an agreement with God. Hallelujah. That's not going to happen. Amen? Our salvation is eternal. Saving faith perseveres. Praise God. And so he says, okay, you've, you've, your soul is pure now. You've been taken care of. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. By obeying the truth, truth is faith in what God did. You obeyed through the power of the Holy Spirit. And here we go again. Because all that's true, here's how you ought to respond to it. Love each other. Love each other fervently. The Bible says to pursue love. Did you know it says that? In the, in the, in the, in the tagline after the love chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says, pursue love. I wonder what it would be like in Christian circles if we pursued it and went after it. God, show me how to love. I'm going to receive your love and then I'm going to turn it back and I'm going to give it back to you. And the only way that I can express love to God is to love what He loves. And that's people. And man, would that be a transforming testimony in the life and witness of the church in our community, in our society, if we really did love one another. Do you know what in Christian circles, we've got filio parading itself as agape and people get disillusioned as a result. We have brotherly love and kind affection for one another. You know, we'll be nice to one another and we expect to be treated nice in return. We have a fondness for one another. That's not agape. Agape is God's love. It's in a category all its own. And agape love is being willing to put aside yourself for the spiritual benefit of others. That's agape. And that's what should exist in churches. Time and again, you can hear testimonies of someone who maybe was in church for a while. And even, did you know, we were talking about this yesterday in the Bible study, even lost people who categorically reject the gospel 
expect saved people to act saved. Have you ever noticed that? A lost person expects people to act differently who are saved. They are saved, even though they reject the gospel. And so, when we do not experience filio and do not, I mean, agape, we're a sham because we should have agape love for one another, but it's actually filio paraded as agape, and we get confused. And the difference between the two leaves people disillusioned and doubtful about the claims of faith. Can you blame them, really? Can you blame them? How much turning of the cheek is there? How much of setting aside our pride is there? How much forgiveness is there? It should exist and be habitual in the body of Christ. Love one another fervently with a pure heart. Why? Because we can. We've been born again. Not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. You know what the Bible says of itself? You start reading what the Bible says of itself will encourage you and increase your confidence in God's Word. And this is one of my favorite things the Bible says of itself. And it says it no less than three times, Greg, in the Word of God. Proverbs 35 is one of them. 30 dot dot 5. Chapter 30 verse 5. Every word of God is pure. And He is a shield those who put their trust in Him. It says that three times in the Bible. Every word of God is pure. That word pure means tested, tried. It is pure. It has run the course and found to be true. Every word that comes out of His mouth. And He's a shield to those who put their trust in Him. So we've been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of the pure living Word of God. This should increase our confidence in the Word of God and witnessing and decrease our confidence in our own words. The Word of God is the catalyst. It is the agent by which God uses in the preaching of God's Word, the declaration of God's Word, to spawn redemptive activity in the life of a lost person. We celebrate our first birth. We're grateful. Ethan was born last week, and we celebrate his birth, first birth. But I'm telling you this right now. Far greater day is coming. We're praying. And we're praying for your children as well when we celebrate this second one. Better the first one never occurred if the second one doesn't. Amen? It'll be through the Word of God. The corruptible seed, the incorruptible seed of God. Now, that's so important, and the devil has his sight set on it so much so. And let's look at one of the reasons, just one. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you will. Verses 14 and 15. The Apostle Paul talking to Timothy here and talking to all of us about the life and witness of the church. The title of this message is, is The Living Word. The Living Word. He goes here and says, But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them. And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, and look, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. If you're the devil, and you hate God, and the only way you can express that hate is to do ill to that which He loves, then, and the only good thing 
that can, um, the, the only eternal thing that God does for people is save them, then you have a vested interest in doing everything that you can to stop the Word of God from getting to somebody or cast it out once it having got there. That's your design. Because look at what it does. The Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. The Scriptures are able to make you wise to salvation. Look at Luke chapter 5. I want you to look at the account of Peter's salvation. I'm so glad God put Peter in the Bible because all of us can relate to him so well. We almost all say that, don't we? Boy, I'm like Peter. Well, I'll tell you one thing. We can relate to him as believers. And I sure can. I can tell you this. I want you to look at this conversion. Something that's put in here that is just a little bit of a phrase, but it speaks of the power of the Word of God. Look at this. Is, this is when he's converted to Christ. And look at uh, Luke 5. Look at verse 1. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him, Jesus, to hear the Word of God, that he stood by the lake of uh, Gennesaret, and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. They were done. Caught nothing. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to pull out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And look what he says in verse 5. But Simon answered and said to him, now look what he calls him. What does he call him right there? Master. Master. Teacher. Uh, in parter of spiritual truth. Guru. Look to. And all of that. Teacher. We've toiled all night and caught nothing. And you can just see the disgust or feel the disgust in him. Because this is not a small matter to wash those nets. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. The presentation of the gospel from Jesus Christ to Simon was go out there and let your nets down and fish again. And look how the look at the power of the word. He said, at your word, I'm going to let down the net. At your word, I'm going to let down your net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking so much so that they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Hallelujah, what a catch! Let's go and clean them! No. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. What? What does he call him now? Lord. Lord. He's repentant. He said, get away from me. He sees his sin for what it is. God grants him repentance and then turns around to him and says, Peter, get up. Get up. You're going to follow me because I'm going to make you fishers of men. That's repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. He repented. Depart from me. He put faith in Jesus, called him Lord, and he saved. And all of that came about in the key to all of that is this. In verse 5. Nevertheless, at your word. Nevertheless, at your word. When Jesus Christ speaks something to somebody, things begin to happen. If that is true, then our neglect and our contempt for the Word of God 
is a major problem. Students, can I say this to you? Whatever you learn in school and wherever you go to school, you measure everything that you learn by this book. This is your standard. As a matter of fact, every other book that you use, put it beneath this one. And if there's a contradiction between what you're learning and the Word of God, go with the Word of God every last time. Because this is eternal and true. And it's able to make you wise unto salvation. If it's able to make you wise unto salvation, then the enemy has a vested interest in keeping it from you. If it's able to make you wise unto salvation, he has a vested interest in casting doubt on it. If it makes you wise unto salvation, he has a vested interest in you getting dull toward it. If it is why it makes you wise unto salvation. He has a vested interest in making you have contempt for it. Why do we concede? Let's quit doing it. This is the Word of the living God delivered from heaven and it's powerful and alive. Hallelujah to His name. The reason we are so weak sometimes and anemic in the Christian life is we've not yet let take root in our heart the glories of what it means to be saved. The glories of God's redemptive activity. We've been pure. Our souls have been purified through the belief and the truth. The Holy Spirit quickened us to believe. Gave us the gift of repentance and faith. And now we can love one another because we've been eternally loved. We can express agape because agape lives in us. Now this is what I want to get to this morning. We were born again, not of corruptible seed, but through incorruptible seed, through the Word of the living God. Now I want you to look. Let's go back to Luke. Will you go with me? And hang with me just one second. See something glorious in the Scriptures. We were born again through the Word of God. We were born again through the incorruptible Word of God. The Word that abides forever. If a Word that abides forever, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is the agent by which... We are redeemed. That means that we abide forever. Amen? Nothing changes. But I want you to look. Let's look at Luke. And I want you to look over here in Gabriel's word to Mary. When Gabriel shows up, he's just gone previous to this and told Zacharias about John the Baptist coming supernaturally. Now Gabriel chief angel here is sent to tell Mary the Virgin Mary that she's going to have a son and his name is going to be called Jesus and look what it says in 34 then Mary said to the angel after she's informed of the fact that she's going to bear a son the son of God Mary said to the angel how can this be so I, since I do not know a man I'm, I'm not married yet how can this be and the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and the Word of the living God is spoken. That Word is going to become flesh, and God's going to make good on that, and He's going to put the Son of the living God, through His Word into your womb, and Christ is going to be formed inside you. That's the same thing God's doing in your life right now. He's forming Christ inside you. You have a seat called your heart, and in that seat is the womb of God. 
And in that womb of God, God implants His Word. Just like He came upon Mary. And said, Mary, what's growing inside you is divine. Emmanuel, God with us. Not the seed that comes from the cursed seed through the loins of Adam. No, 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 no. I'm coming in. I'm going to invade your world with a holy seed. That Holy One that's born in you will be formed in you. Look at Galatians 4.19. Good gracious alive! Go over with me, will you? This is the design and the power and the purpose of the church of the living God. Listen to this. Listen to this. Listen to this. That's Mary. We're Mary. Christ is being formed inside us. Hallelujah! And the agent was when the Holy Spirit came upon you and He planted into you, into your spiritual womb, the Word of the living God, the Word that became flesh. You're dead and now you're alive in Him. Lord, the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 4.19, My little children for whom I labor in birth again until what? Christ is formed in you. The seven most important words, arguably, in the New Testament come from Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Look around. Just look at each other for a minute. Look around. You see it? You see the church? The purpose of the church is that God would so move in our obedient response to His Word and our coming together with one another to encourage one another and to stand on the sidelines and say, keep on going, keep on going, keep on going. Don't quit. Don't give up. The whole purpose of the church can be summed up in that one phrase that we are going to labor until Christ is formed in you. We're not going to get in the way of you getting to the cross. We're not going to accommodate your flesh we're not going to celebrate your flesh. We're going to call for you to die to it. Another one of those lies is Christ. God helps those who help themselves. No, He does not. God helps those who die to themselves so that they depend solely on Him. He uses the Word to break your confidence in yourself so that He can build up in within you confidence in Him. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Oh, dear ones, God has made good on His promises when He came to the Virgin Mary and He implanted His Son in humanity. That was for all of the church. It wasn't just her. Hallelujah. We're the bride of Christ. And God has planted His Son inside us. And now we're empowered for service and holy living. We don't go it alone anymore. Galatians 4.19 I Strive until Christ be formed in you. That's why the Word of God is so important. Because the Word of God informs us and we grow thereby. We grow in the knowledge of the salvation that He's purchased for us. We have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. And the agent by which we grow, where the ligaments are strengthened and the, and the muscles are built, is the Word of the living God. There's no way that we can underestimate its importance. There's no way. There's no way we can adequately celebrate it or call for it. It has to be the work of the Holy Spirit. Oh, dear ones, the Word of God is so incredibly important. Think it not strange that you're not enjoying the victory that you think and have been told exists in the Christian life. And in the secret places of your heart, you have doubts as to whether or not it's for you if you habitually ignore God's Word. 
It cannot and it will not happen. See, the old you is passing away as a flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls away. But the Word of God endures forever. Christ is being formed inside you. Christ is being formed, dear one, inside you. And the agent by which He does it is the seed of God. It's the, it's the regenerative seed of God. Just as surely as a man has a seed, God has a seed and His seed is the Word. And it falls down in. And it belief comes about through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repentance and faith. Now Christ is being formed in you. He uses tribulation, trials, difficulties, and tests in order for that formation process to continue. But Christ be formed in you. Let's not rest until Christ is formed in us. Because we can't rest until we get into His rest. And we can't get into His rest unless we believe. And we can't believe unless we receive. And we can't receive unless we feast on His Word. We can't do it. See why the Word of God is so important? It is God's redemptive power. Al said it best a while ago. And it's true. You want more faith? Get into the Word. Ask for more faith? Get into the Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. In light of all that, here He goes again. Lay aside all malice, evil speech, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the what? Mouth speaks. God is not concerned about outward appearances or reformation from the outside. He's concerned about transformation from the inside. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word that you may grow thereby, if you have indeed tasted that the Lord is gracious. There we go again. This, this habit of the Lord to tell us that when once before we got saved, the law was tutor, and now that we're saved, grace is tutor. And grace leads to holy living. I'd like to be able to think that God could use us, me and Pastor Dave and others, and you've, He's used you, but He would use somebody. And we would come together in the body of Christ the way that God used somebody with me running at Swift Can Trail the other day. I was running at Swift Can Trail Park the other day. We got to where we run over there a lot, and Catherine's into running. Oh, boy, I wish she'd get over that. No, I'm cutting out. And so... Uh, and she, matter of fact, she won second place in the onion run for her age. And uh, I was so proud of her. I won first place for women in my group. <laughs> it's the truth. Jill put down my name and she put Mr. Lindsay Lewis, but they recorded me as Mrs. Lindsay Lewis. So we got hundreds of people out there at the Vidae Onion Festival, and they call my name that I won in my age group. And I started to go up there and get the trophy. And Jill said, Stop! They're talking about women! <laughs> and so thank the Lord she stopped me from being embarrassed in front of all those people. That's a true story. That happened. <laughs> the looking ox were there, and I'm taking away their thunder because he was going to criticize me, and he can't do it now because he said, I don't want to tell everybody about this. And I said, well, it was a flesh, flesh thing. But um, I didn't win first place in the women's division. Um, the, um, but um, we were running the other day. Uh, we're running over there, and there's a part. I know that God's sovereign, Rick, over where hills are. I know that. But there are some places where he's put some that I don't appreciate. And one of them is, the th like, it th I, I measured it. It's seven-tenths of a mile into going around that track. The, the thing goes like this. Now, to somebody like Rick, it's just a bump in the road. To me, it's Kilimanjaro. And so by the time I get there, I'm just, oh, no, I just dread the whole, oh, I can't enjoy the rest of the run for dreading that part of it. And so we get up there, and, and there was another guy that was running the opposite way of me, Katie. And so I was running this way. 
and he was running this way. And so we'd come meet each other. And of course, we were meeting each other at different places because he was laughing at me. I appreciate that, John. And, um, and he didn't look like he was all that great of shape, but he was running like a rabbit. It made me so mad. And so I just quit looking at him. I just I'm going to ignore this guy because he's discouraging me. And so we got into the run, and here I am. I'm about to finish lap five. I'm running five miles. Barely making it, but I'm running five miles. And so I get up there to the hill, and I'm right on that rise in that hill, right up there. And he comes around, and he looks at me, and he says, you're doing a good job like that. I want you to know, I'm telling you right now, I finished strong. I'm telling you, it was like nothing to get that th three tits. Honestly, I remember thinking, there must be some, in some kind of brain something, endorphins. I mean, there must be some physical reason for this. But I feel like I could have run, Scott, I could have, I could have run another 10 miles simply because that guy spoke one word of encouragement to me. And I thought about it. And I said, you know what? That ought to characterize the life and witness of the church of the living God. When you're up there and you're treading that hill and it seems hard and it seems burdensome and arduous, there to be some people coming along right beside you and saying, let me tell you something right now. You hang in there. You latch on to the promises of God. Don't you quit. Don't you quit. Don't you quit for one iota. Don't you quit. And then all of a sudden you hear that. And then God's strength takes over. And then you tap into divine strength. I'm not talking about trying harder. I'm talking about trusting more. Don't get into this business about trying harder. The Bible says be steadfast, immovable. Watch this, watch this, watch this. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that nothing that's done in the name of the Lord is in vain. You will not be steadfast and you will not be immovable if you're abounding in your work. But if you're abounding in His work, you will be steadfast, immovable, and you will persevere. Now, how do we know what His work is? Except, do we go out and look at needs? What if Jesus is? What is the pathology of Jesus' life was? I'm going to go around and heal everybody who needs it. He wouldn't have had time for the cross. He wouldn't have had time to eat. He wouldn't have had time to sleep. He healed a bunch of people. There's no question about it. But He didn't heal everybody He came and come across to. You know why? He healed the ones that God told Him to heal. You know why? Because he was totally dependent upon the Father. You know why? Because he got his directions from up there. We're so needs-based in Christianity. We look out and see a need and then turn around and rush out to try to do it and then say, God bless it! And God says, you're operating your own strength. You're going to kill yourself and you're going to make a terrible presentation of my rest and my gospel to people who say you're supposed to serve a Savior whose yoke is easy and his burden is light. So we take the time to go to Him first, find out what He wants to do, then we can expect His power to do it. God's work done God's way never lacks God's supply. Where do we get it? Where's our marching orders come from? The gracious Word of God. You know what? Desire as milk. Desire as a baby likes, it desires milk. I've noticed this in all our youngins. They'll, they would feed till as long as you could hold out. And the look of satisfaction on their faces when they feed from their mother is unbelievable. Peace, it's a beautiful thing. You know, and you just see them, and they just go and go and go and go and go and go and go. They desire it. They desire it. This is not saying stay with the milk. It's not saying stay with the milk. What it's saying is desire it as a baby desires milk. It speaks to the appetite, not the level of maturity. We should get to meat. It's not talking about that. It's talking about characterizing the appetite the way a baby longs for to be fed the milk. 
It's not the milk of the Word. It's the appetite for the Word and the intensity of it. Oh, get it to me. Get it to me! Boy, the devil's got us duped. We're so, we're so easily fooled in the Christian life. I'm, rare do I have this, but I've got a $20 bill here. This belongs to Abigail, actually. <laughs> My mother gave it to her for her birthday. Abigail, this is your 20. I've got on, I've got, I'm hanging on to it. That's the reason I have a 20. But um, I've used this illustration before. But I used to work in the banking business for years. God put up with me because I was doing something I shouldn't have been doing. And um, if we came across a counterfeit bill, um, we'd turn it over to the Secret Service. They investigate those uh, to find out, to try to trace it. Um, you know how they train Secret Service agents to recognize a counterfeit bill? Hmm? To study and examine and be intimately familiar with what a real one looks like. Because see, if you if you if you study counterfeits, there are ten billion different variations that you'd have to study, and you'll never cover all of them. So if you study the real one. You come across this counterfeit, stands out. I mean, you could do it. I've seen tellers do it before and have a stack of $100 bills, and you think, man, that's a pretty good counterfeit, until you lay it beside the real one, and you start going and stack them through. And you say, oh, man, oh, oh. The weapon to counter error is not to study error. The weapon to counter error is to proclaim truth. And it makes the error exposed on its own. Truth is, we don't know enough about the truth to even begin to counter the error. Let me tell you something. Can it be said, can we pray right now before we have the Lord's Supper? Let's just pray this right now. That everybody in this fellowship and everybody you influence, because let me tell you something too about this, dads. Let me speak to you for a moment. It's going to be hard to convince and hard to make a case to your children that the Word of God ought to be important to them if it's not important to you. I'm telling you now. I'm telling you, that's a hard thing. That's a hard... I tell you, I've seen my son have quiet times, and I never told him to have a quiet time simply because he saw me having them. You know, I mean, but if I say, son, you ought to be in the Word, and I'm never in it, he's going to go... It's kind, of like, it's kind of like trying to tell your children not to smoke, and you smoke it. It's kind of hard to build a case of the... Of the, of the terror of smoking when you are willing to do it and are participating in it. That's not about smoking. I'm just saying that the, the Bible concludes this. You lead by example. But that a profound truth. Even the world's latched onto that. It's going to be hard for them to have an appetite. Do you, if, I sh if I ask a show of hands, how many of you dads and how many of you moms maybe there's not a dad in the home want your children don't do it but want your children to have an appetite for God's word there's not a hand in here that wouldn't go up and the question is then what kind of appetite do you have for it do you desire it like a baby with the milk next time you watch one of our ladies and they're feeding their little baby just let that be a reminder that's all you have that's how you that's sort of be your attitude toward the word of God oh feed it to me I don't care who's preaching. It doesn't matter who's preaching. It doesn't matter as long as the big preacher's preaching. And his words cracked open, get you a notepad and, and, and be ready for some cathead biscuit to come your way.
you know, get be ready, be ready. God, you might say something to me this morning. I'm expecting you to say something to me this morning. I come with a sense of expectation. We leave church and we go, oh, that didn't do anything for me or whatever. I wonder reason maybe they didn't do anything for us is because of the disposition with which we came. God, feed me. If God can speak through a donkey, He can flat speak through anybody. Amen. Let's desire it. The milk, the milk of the Word, that we may grow thereby and be biblically conformed and Christ be formed in you. Can you imagine the Son of God forming Himself inside you? Isn't that awesome? That guy, we, we saw him get saved this past week. He's got an a, a, a incredibly dysfunctional family. His wife's lost. And five children are lost, and they're all their lives are a wreck and ruin. And after he prayed to receive Christ, we were sitting there for a minute, and I said, "Ron, I want you to know something. When you go home, things are not going to automatically get better. As a matter of fact, there's a good probability that in the short run they'll get worse." I said, "You're in for it now." Because the devil is going to go at you with vigilance. I said, but the difference is, and I said, you're not going to be able to appreciate this right now as much as you will one day. Or maybe you will. Maybe you're not religious enough to where you can receive this. I said, the difference is, is you'll never face it alone. Amen. That's an eternal difference, isn't it, dear ones? You'll never face it alone. He's inside you. Quickened by the word of the living God. The seed of God went in you the day you got saved. And Christ is being formed in you just as surely as that baby was formed inside Mary. Isn't God good? Amen.